The word turbulence means the violent or unsteady move, moving of something. So we see turbulence. You go to the next picture there. We, we see turbulence and air movement. If, any, if anybody's ever been on a flight and started getting kind of rocky and the air is turbulent, you have hot and cold air, storms, different things like that, and the plane becomes shaky, uh, we'll see a rough plane ride because of turbulence. Then we have turbulence in the water, which we see some, some rough waves. Uh, hopefully you've never been on a ship and had to experience turbulence in the water. We'll hear a little bit about that today. Uh, and that kind of gives a, a rough ship ride. But we also see that sometimes our lives can get turbulent. Sometimes our life can feel kind of like a ship in that type of waves or, or a plane in that type of a storm. Uh, and sometimes that turbulence isn't necessarily due to your sin directly. It, it may, you may be making righteous decisions and things are just not going well because just the world we live in that is marred by sin. But today we're going to talk about the more common situation of turbulence in your life because of the decisions that you make. And we're going to see the decisions that Jonah makes and the turbulence that his life uh, starts to see. And life often gets turbulent because of our sin. Uh, it brings about consequences, and these consequences don't always uh, just affect us. They affect others as well, as we we're going to talk about. And, and my friends, disobedience has consequences from the sovereign hand of God. Um, the theologian Leslie Allen said this, Yahweh will not be brushed aside and ignored. All sin will be accounted for. God will punish all sin. There will obviously be consequences for sin on earth, but there will be eternal consequences for sin if we're not covered by the blood of the Lamb, as we'll address later. So today we're going to see God acting sovereignly throughout this entire account. It's just going to be amazing as you watch God step by step in complete control throughout this chapter. And then we're going to see an undeserved, surprising mercy at the end of chapter 1. So let's pray and let's get into God's Word here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, for allowing us to come and worship you today. Thank you so much for the worship that we got to have already in singing. Uh, Lord, and now we're going to be worshiping you through the word. And God, may you open up our hearts, our minds to hear your word, God. Uh, help us to, uh, to be open to what your word has to say. We know that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, uh, that sometimes it hurts, sometimes it convicts, Lord God. But we know that it will all, all work out for our good, that, that you desire our good, that you love us, that you care for us. And so, God, may we, may we receive your word, may we grow from it and learn from it, and may we be built up knowing that you uh, will indwell us if we are in you, and that you will do the work through us, God. We praise you, thank you, and love you. Amen. So we're going to talk about three ways that God's sovereignty acts and rules in response to Jonah's disobedience. So the first one is God is sovereign in the response to disobedience. God is sovereign in the response to disobedience. So I'm going to start reading in verse 4. We're going to read 4 and 5 here first. But the Lord, this is Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners who were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So this, this transition phrase here, but the Lord, it can kind of go either way. Uh, when we see that, but the Lord, it can be a really good but the Lord, or it can be a really bad but the Lord. Last week we talked about Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in him by grace we have been saved. That's a good way it can go. But then here we're going to see that that good news came, comes through faith and obedience. Uh, you know, responding faith through grace, we're saved by faith, through, by grace, through faith. 
But now we're going to see this, but the Lord, and it's in response to disobedience. And so obviously this is going to be followed by a little bit of a worse thing. And we see a terrifying Hebrew word here, this word hurled. And this word hurled, if we look in 1 Samuel uh, eighteen eleven, we see Saul hated David. And so he hurled his spear at him to pin him on the wall. He missed. We see him also do that to his son, Jonathan, who's defending David at one point. Uh, but we see this hurled. So it's a, a violent throwing. And we see the sovereign God of the universe hurling the wind at this ship. Uh, and so this is a, a big deal here. And then we see that it goes on to say that there is a mighty tempest on the sea, so this, which means a heavy gale or a violent storm with dangerous waves and wind. And so then, then we actually see the ship, and I love the, the, what, what it says about the ship. It, it personifies the ship. It says that it threatened to break up. I mean, uh, how does a ship threaten to break up? What it shows is God is even sovereign over things, and God is sovereignly conspiring with the ship to get Jonah. He's like, hey, you know, we're going to, I'm going to have my way. You cannot flee from me. I will make sure that, that you do what I've called you to do, what I've asked you to do, what I've told you to do. And we see the ship threatening to break into pieces. So it's almost like it's out to get Jonah as well. And as we continue on, I want us to compare two different people here. One Jonah and one the crew. And, and you're going to see their reactions are very different. So here, we, what do we see? We see the crew is flipping out. Like they are scared to death. They're throwing. And that same word hurled, <laughs> that's a violent throwing. Well, they're hurling the cargo out of the ship because they want to be able to lighten it so that they can try to control it and keep it from breaking up. And, and here's the, and they're, they're crying out to their little G gods and they're doing whatever they can to try to appease whatever supernatural force is doing this. And I think you have to look at this account and realize that this is a supernatural storm. It's not just a normal storm. These guys would have been very experienced sailors to set off to Tarshish. As we saw before, it was some maybe 2,500 to 3,000 miles from Joppa where they're taking off. That is a long voyage, a very long voyage. And so these guys would have been the best of the best, the cream of the crop, not just a little tiny cruise thing going around a couple of islands. So this was a long and, and rugged trip. And they had likely seen some horrible storms in the past. I mean, these guys had seen the worst of the worst, but they know and they, they obviously think this is from a god. Like, this is way worse than anything I could have imagined, and we see that. But then what about Jonah? How, what's Jonah's response to this? In verse 5, what's he doing? He's sleeping. He, he, he's, he's not only sleeping, but, like, he goes down, and you just wonder if where the cargo was that they were throwing off. Like, is he sleeping through them grabbing cargo, coming down, grabbing cargo, and throwing? Like, you know, I mean, he, he's fast asleep. And this word for fast asleep, it, you know, commentators kind of go back and forth of what that really means. And, and we see some say it's because he fled from the Lord so long he was as exhausted, which may very well be part of the truth there. But we see this word deep sleep, this fast asleep, is what we actually see, that Hebrew word used in Genesis 2.21 when Adam had a rib removed by God. And we also see that same sleep uh, whenever uh, you see uh, Abraham and Daniel and others that are asleep and see a vision from the Lord. It's a very deep sleep, almost a supernatural sleep. And I don't think, I think we can be sure that this isn't a peaceful sleep given by God uh, because he's obedient and because he's telling him something here. I think that this sleep was one that was stupefying. And we see A.R. Fawcett says this. He's a, uh, another theologian. He says, sleep is not necessarily proof of innocence. You know, some people can sleep well at night, and we think, oh, well, they can sleep well, so they must be innocent. It may be the fruit of carnal security and a seared conscience. Carnal security and a seared 
conscience. So sin makes us so completely ignorant and unobservant of what is going on around us that we don't know the waves and the storm that is going around us. And we see this when we listen to illogical debates on abortion and sexuality and things. We see that, that the people in our United States of America and in our world are asleep. They have a stupefying sleep that they can't understand what is truth and what is a lie. They can't see the baby that is in that mother's womb because they're asleep. They can't understand. Their mind is dulled. Their conscience is seared by the enemy of their souls and the enemy of those babies' souls as well. And we see that in sexuality. It makes sense. Only a male and a female, a biological male and a biological female, can, 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 ha- can make a baby. And so it makes sense, but their sleep is stupefying and they are unable to see. Matthew Henry asserted that sin brings storms and tempests into the soul, into the family, into the churches, and nations. Do we not have some tempests and waves in our nation today? That the sins of our fathers and ourselves and our world are affecting our world. And as we see here, the consequences of your sins do not just affect you. And this me first postmodern idea of truth is relative and it's true for you, it's not true for me, I can do whatever I want to, Everything you do affects someone else. Every decision that you make, every sin that you make affects others. And so there are consequences. If you get drunk or you're sexually immoral or you gamble or you're lazy or another sinful act, not only will you suffer, but your marriage might suffer. Your children might suffer. Your spouse, your workplace, your church, and even your nation and world may suffer directly or indirectly from your sinful acts. Sin has consequences. And praise God, we have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So we have hope that, that and we have forgiveness and we have mercy that comes from God, but consequences still do come from our sins, my friends. Consequences still do. And sometimes there'll be, quote-unquote, smaller consequences, like you'll just have a memory of what you saw, what you said, what you shouldn't have done. And that still can haunt you, and those can be a big issue. They can be a lot bigger than we think, but they can also be broken relationships, heartaches, families that are broken because of your sin. But praise God that we can face those consequences that may come, and we can seek reconciliation through the mighty hand of God who forgives us and who will be merciful, mercifully carry us through those things. Moving on to verses 6 through 8, let's continue into this account. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Notice the little g here so far. Perhaps the God perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? Jonah awakens to a nightmare. And it's not just the captain flipping out in a huge storm. It's not just that. It's, do you notice how eerily familiar that command says here? He says what? Arise. Do we, do we, do we want to look back at verse 2? It says, arise, go to Nineveh. So can, can you imagine that word, arise? He's just like, oh man, like I'm running from that one. That word is the reason I'm on this ship to begin with because I was told, arise, go to Nineveh. And I said, no, actually I didn't even say no. I just, I just fled. He didn't even ever say a word to God. He just ran. And so now you, he sees that he can run, but he can't hide. That voice, the, God is speaking through the captain to him at this point. You know, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. 
Jonah's God at this point is seen as a little G God by the captain. He's just, just one of the gods that are out there uh, that, that they've been calling out to, and there's an answer, and so maybe Jonah's will, and they just see him as another option at this point. But, but note what Jonah doesn't do at this point. So we see that they're going to cast lots. We're going to talk about it here in a second. But, but, but what happens after the captain addresses him? Do we see Jonah pray? Do we see Jonah call out to Yahweh? No. Still, he is silent to, toward Yahweh, even when he's confronted with the fact that this may be all his fault. Even, you know, the ship's going to crumble. This way, the waves are coming. He's heard that word arise. He knows something's up. God's out to get him. He's coming after him. And he's like, okay. He's still no response, just, just complete no response there. It's amazing. Even in this horrible and supernaturally sent storm, he does not repent. Instead, the crew moves on, and they cast lots. They're like, okay, we're going to figure out whose fault this is. We know this just doesn't happen. This type of storm doesn't just come like that out of nowhere. You know, we know the weather. We've been watching this, and this was, like, beautiful, and now it's awful. Something's going on. This is the worst storm I've ever seen. And wouldn't you know, who, who does the lot fall upon? Jonah. I, you know, that's amazing. You know, didn't, didn't think that was coming. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Well, Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. We see that God is even sovereign over the casting of the lot here, that God is, is, is sovereign. And we see uh, that Jonah's given five commands or questions here in rapid fire and succession. These, these guys are interrogating him. They want to figure out what is going on. And then we're going to get to verse 9 as he answers. Jonah 1, nine, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So note that jo Jonah almost answers casually here, just kind of matter of fact. This is who I am. But when he, obviously we don't see that he fears the Lord, because if he truly feared the Lord, he'd be obedient. You know, if you truly fear the Lord, you're going to listen. Be like, okay. And I hear people a lot of times like, oh yeah, I fear, I fear the Lord. And you watch the way they live. It's like, you don't fear the Lord. If you feared the Lord, you'd be in his word trying to figure out what his obedience is. And if you love the Lord, you do the same as John 14, 15 says. But this statement was one that rocked these pagan guys to their core. Because what he says here is a big deal. He says, the, the Lord God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So what he does is he puts Yahweh above everything. So he's the, the God of heaven. He's the God over everything. And he's the God who made the sea and dry land. In that time, they had little g gods for like everything. The God of water or the God of the sun or the God of this. Like this God is the one that is over everyone. And so they hear this is the supreme deity that we've messed with, that you've messed with, Jonah. And it says, what is this you have done? They're like morally outraged. Like, what is wrong with you? You know, like you have offended the worst, like the biggest, scariest God in the universe. He's a God not to be messed with. And it says they were exceedingly afraid. They were horrified at that point. And throughout this account, we've seen God sovereignly responding to the disobedience of Jonah. And God sovereignly uh, responds to our disobedience as well, my friends. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Yes, we are under mercy and we are under grace, but he's a God who loves us. And as we'll talk about later, he disciplines us, he loves us, and our disobedience will be dealt with. And I pray that if you have an area in your life where you are just in, you're fleeing from the Lord, you're being disobedient, you know there's a call, you know you're supposed to do this, and you know you're supposed to do that, and we've talked about this before, I pray 
that you repent and turn to our wonderful God who is merciful. There, there will be some consequences. You may have missed out on some blessings. Uh, you may have gotten off the road, and you're going to get back on here, and you're going to have missed something from God. But God, praise the Lord, he, he knew it. He's not surprised by it. He is sovereign. You can't catch him off guard. He knew where you were going to veer off the path and where you were going to come back. And I just pray that you get back on the path that he's given you because you will be blessed for it. It may not feel like it at the time, but he will walk with you and give you peace. So moving forward, we see our second point, that God is sovereign in the result of disobedience. The result of disobedience. Let's start. keep reading in verse 11 and 11 through uh, 13. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Now this account gets even more interesting. So these men have interrogated Jonah. They found out that he worships Yahweh, the Lord. And now they ask him, how can we appease your God? How can we appease Yahweh? And the author also gives some indications here that time's short. He continues to say it grows more and more tempestuous. And we've already seen that the ship is threatening to break up. And now the sea is hitting the ship even harder It's just a matter of seconds, a matter of minutes. This this ship is going to be destroyed, and they're all going to be doomed for death. Jonah gives them an answer out of left field, though. you you got to wonder, like, when these guys ask him, like, what what do we need to do? Like, what do we need to do at this point? That they were expecting, you know, we need to pray this prayer. We need to make this sacrifice. We need to, you know, recite this. We need to just turn the ship around, go back home. Like, you know, there's all kinds of answers that that could have been here. And what does he say? You've got to hurl me in the sea. There's that word again four times now. We've seen this, this, this very violent, scary word in verse 4, 5, 12, and now here it is again. And this is, a, this is quite a, a shift for Jonah, too. So, so Jonah is, is somewhat being sacrificial here. And as we'll see, uh, I think uh, Smith and Page said it really well in their commentary. It says, as chapter 4 makes clear, we'll get to in the future, at this point, Jonah did not have deep compassion for the pagan. Glaze is right that it was the voice of his conscience, not compassion, that spoke. So you, so you see Jonah, he, he's not necessarily wanting to be sacrificial for these people because they're pagans, and, and he had a very closed-minded, narrow-minded, God only loves me and Israel, and that's why I'm not going to Nineveh to talk to them, and we'll see more of that in, in chapter 4. But we see that he does have a conscience, that, that he does have a sense of justice, a sense of, sense of right or wrong, and he's like, okay, I can't take everybody down with me. He knows the penalty of sin is what? death. And so he's like, okay, you know, God's going to get me. Just throw me into the sea. Let's get this thing over with. And I was very interested to see that the, the, these pagan guys, just so interesting to see these guys who are godless have a conscience as well. And you can see God working on their hearts just throughout this whole thing. And it says that they rowed hard to get back to dry land. And that rowing hard means to dig into the water. They're giving it everything they got. They're like, dude, I don't like your idea. Your idea sounds bad. Throwing you into the sea, like, first off, is there going to be judgment on us for that? Like, are we going to be in trouble? Like, you're, is your, if your God's that scary that he can throw this, this, you know, hurl this wind at us and almost break our ship into millions of pieces, then if I throw you out there, what is, what's he going to do to us next, you know? Or, or even then, it's like, I don't want to be, in a, you know, if this guy's innocent or I don't want to throw this guy in there. And so they're trying their best. Yet all their effort against the sovereign hand of God proves useless. 
We can learn a lot from this. Uh, all of our work, no matter how, fight you f- how, how much you fight against God, no matter how much you go kicking and screaming, no matter how far you fl- run, no matter what you do, He is sovereign. And He is bigger and stronger and smarter than anything that you can do or say to try to flee. Instead of fighting, we should willingly repent and submit to His will, my friends. He is good. And it may not seem good. His will may seem intimidating as this call to Jonah was. Go to this, this horrible people and preach that I'm going to destroy them at this point if they don't, if they don't re- repent. But yet we know Romans 8:28 is truth. It is the truth of God's word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We can know that even in the hard things, even in the hard calls in our life, even in the difficulties, even when there's things we, we don't know what to do, that he will guide and direct us and he will be faithful. I love C.S. Lewis's quote here uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is, is the representative of Christ, of God, in, in this book. It's kind of a, as we look and, and we see this, uh, this quote, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous uh, about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We must be, we must fully understand here. We must fully understand in our Christian walk that he is more concerned about our sanctification than our safety. He is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. And, and his, the, the, the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice, is not a real commandment. It, it, it is not there. We are to be strong for the Lord. We are to, be, to step out in faith. We're to do what he calls us to do. And God is good. He, he, he's not always what we would consider nice. He doesn't always call us to these rosy, easy things. He calls us to hard things oftentimes. But he's good. He's not always safe. Sometimes, if you, if you, I don't know if you all listen to Voice of the Martyrs or go into that, sometimes Christians die for the faith. Sometimes they're killed for the faith. Sometimes you do everything right and you're murdered or one of your children are, are gone or something bad happens and you're like, God, I've been faithful. He's not safe in that way. And we can't, we can't expect God to be safe in that way, but he is sovereign and he is good and he will take all of those things and he will write everything in eternity. Every sin that's why we are not to avenge ourselves friends because his 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 avenging will be so much better than anything we could ever think of so our job is just to be faithful and to walk in faith and we know that when we are outside of his will when when we are rebelling that there will be punishment there will be not punishment christ is taking our punishment there will be discipline for us and we see in hebrews 12 11 for for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful root of, uh, fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. My friends, God loves you too much to let you stay in disobedience. There will be discipline, and he will write, write your course eventually. Just repent and let the discipline be a little shorter. <laughs> sometimes in my life, I don't know about you all, but sometimes it goes a little longer than it should. Sometimes it takes a couple more two-by-fours to the back of my head before I get back on the path, and I, I pray that we all... Uh, repent of, of anywhere we are disobedient that we walk with the Lord. Let's move on to verses 14 and 16 as we come toward the end here. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his, our innocent blood. 
For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You can't help but begin to start respecting this pagan crew. Like here Jonah is, hasn't said one prayer to God, hasn't consulted God, other than just admitting that he, that he was of a Hebrew of Hebrews who worships the God, like God, who fe- or actually said he fears the Lord. Other than that, he hasn't m- mentioned God. He hasn't talked to God. He hasn't given him a, a head nod. He hasn't done anything. And here this pagan group, they're praying to God, to Yahweh. And they're saying, don't hold us, you know, don't hold us, don't hold us guilty for this. And then they're seeing his sovereignty. You've done as you've pleased. They've got really good theology going on here. God, they, they see that God has sovereignly sent the storm, that God has done all of this, and they eventually hurl Jonah into the sea, not before lamenting the Lord. But then what happened? The sea ceased from its raging. And you read different commentaries, different people, and they'll be like, well, it could have been a little while after they threw him in. It could have I'm of the belief it happened almost instantaneous because these guys, they, they knew that their action appeased Yahweh. That, that all of a sudden, they're all going to die, and now all of a sudden, boom. I, I have a, a very strong suspicion that the clouds departed, that the waves, the water was still as can be, and that it was very clear that Yahweh had acted miraculously at that point. And then continue to compare their response to Jonas. He, he stays mute. They pray. You know, he, he, he completely runs from the Lord. They run to the Lord in prayer. How amazing is that? And I think it's, it's really ironic that the prophet of the Lord, quote-unquote prophet of the Lord, is being spiritually shown up by a pagan ship, ship crew. I mean, how amazing is that, that God, uh, <laughs> that they're responding to God more so, that they pray to the Lord, they sacrifice the Lord, and they, and they even go so far as to make vows to the Lord after sacrificing to him after this. Jonah is in the throes of disobedience, and he is experiencing the result of this disobedience. God is sovereignly responding to Jonah directly. And albeit, we're going to see in the next verse, surprisingly mercifully. Let's look at, at the third point. God is sovereign in the rescue and disobedience. God is sovereign in the rescue and disobedience. Jonah 1.17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I find it really interesting that the most unbelievable, unbelievable uh, miracle uh, mentioned in the Bible, uh, most likely here, is, is almost mentioned passively. We see it three times, Jonah 1.17, Jonah 2.1, the next verse, which is just kind of continuing on, and then Jonah 2.10, and it's almost just like a side note. You know, it's, okay, th- this is what happened. And, and, you know, we don't know this great fish. It could have been a whale. It could have been a different fish. It could be something that's extinct right now. We, we don't know what it was, but we know it was big enough to swallow a man whole. He could stay there for three days. And, you know, that, that's what we know. But I think it's, it's interesting. Though, most people think of Jonah. They think of Jonah and the great fish or Jonah and the whale or Jonah. And that's what people think of. But, but the great fish is really a side note. Uh, the great fish is not the focal point of this book. I, if you think of this book and the first thing you think of is great fish or whale, you're missing the point. Like that is actually, like the great fish was what? Appointed by God. The focus isn't on the fish. The, the focus isn't even Jonah. He hardly talks. If you look at that whole first chapter, he's only said like one line. And he, he told them what? So that the focus is on God and his sovereignty and his response in this whole thing. And, and that's what makes this story, this account, even more believable. Because if this was a fable or a fairy tale or something that was made up, wouldn't you want more, more meat on 
the crazy thing that happened. This dude gets swallowed by a fish, and all you do is just mention it passe. It's like, oh, yeah, this happened. Like, you know, if this was a made-up account, a made-up story, then what you would see is how, how Jonah survived, how he made light while he was in there, how, how did he eat, what did he have to drink, how, you know, you, you would have all of these details uh, because it would be a made-up story, and they would be trying to put all this in. But we don't see that here. We just see, yeah, it's what happened. God appointed this to happen. But it was the Lord who appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So ju- just when Jonah should have been left for dead, he has been just blatantly disobedient. He, he's put this whole crew's lives in danger. Finally, he says, hey, do this. He wouldn't even pray when the, before the lot was cast to say it was my fault, like that, you know, you are all about to die. He, he has been so disobedient, hasn't responded to the Lord. But yet we see this great fish, this, in, this incredible mercy of God to save his life. I want us to see God sovereignly working here. And we, we see God sovereignly working in Jonah chapter 1 in, in five ways, maybe even more, to be honest. But God has shown his control over the wind and the waves. God has sh- so- he sovereignly worked, showing his control over his power of the ship. Right? It threatened to break, and, and it conspired with him against Jonah. Uh, we've seen God sovereignly working in his power over the casting of the lot, that, that he is over that, and, and his ability to make even the pagan fear and respond to him. And now he shows his sovereignty over his created sea creature, that, that, that he appoints, that responds to his sovereign command. Even this sea creature says, yes, Lord, and responds and does what he is told. I think it's important that we know that this first chapter has so many parallels to Jesus. And you're like, wow, that's quite the pivot. Like, we've been talking about Jonah. Where does Jesus come in here? Well, there, there's a, a, a table there that you have uh, that should be in your handout. And we're going to see that we, we see in the Bible there are what we call, I don't like the word types of Christ. I like ways to say foreshadowing of, of who Christ would be. And, and so we go back, uh, we, we see different foreshadowings of Christ in, in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. I won't we don't have time to go into that as much detail as I'd like to, but we saw Adam was, a, was kind of, a, he, he, he led to death. His, his sin led to death. Christ leads to life. And, and so we can see this comparison. So now we see Jonah. Jonah ran from his calling disobediently. Well, Christ fulfills this by obeying his father to even the point of death. Uh, we see this foreshadowing. Uh, Jonah sleeps in a storm. Well, Jesus slept in a storm, right? And so there's, there's some parallels there. Like, oh, okay, yeah. But why does Jonah sleep in a storm? Because he's got a seared conscience most likely and he's running from the lord jesus sleeps because he is sovereign and doesn't need to worry he is in control of the sea he calms the storm as we see jonah experienced a terrible storm at sea and was unable to overcome the wind and the waves alone he wasn't able to fix it jesus did right he calms it himself uh, if, we, if we look at, at jonah he was willing he was finally willing to give his own life for those that were there just because he knew it was going to go anyway, though. Well, Jesus goes so much further. He was sinless and gave his life for everyone so that we all might have eternal life. Uh, Jonah shows no regard to the life of the Gentiles, and we'll see that throughout this book, that he, he doesn't care about them at all. Well, well, Jesus definitely comes to Israel first, but we see that, he, that many of his healings are done toward Gentiles. Uh, and that he eventually sends Paul to the Gentiles to share the gospel, that his great commission is to all nations. We see Jonah was in, in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, and Jesus Christ was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. 
And finally, we see that Jonah was released by the belly of the great fish by the sovereign hand of God. And Jesus took up his life again by being resurrected from the dead, thereby defeating death and the grave. And for those who repent and trust in him can have eternal life. As you can see, Jonah needed a rescuer. And Jesus is that rescuer. God is that rescuer. Just as Jonah needed salvation in the sea that day, many people today need salvation as well. We all need a rescuer. And if you have not went to that rescuer, I pray earnestly that you do. I pray earnestly that you turn to him. And there's so many reasons why we should turn to Christ. There's so many reasons why we should give him our life. But I'm just going to go through three here really quickly. Number one, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the calmer of our storms. I, I don't know about you all, but I know our lives can be tough at times. There can be times where it, there's turbulence. There are times where there are struggles. I can promise you that he gives you peace in those storms. There, there's still storms. They're still tough, but he gives us peace. He can take your brokenness and make you a new creation. Number two, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Here these men were calling out to gods that were not real. They were invisible. They, 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 they didn't exist we have Jesus Christ, God made flesh, who was able to be seen, touched, heard, felt. He is the image of the invisible God. We have a tangible God, and we have his word that we can, so that we can know him intimately. And three, Jesus Christ is our solid rock. Our lives may feel like we're on a ship at sea like Jonah was, and everything is going bad around us. Well, if we have our feet firmly planted on Jesus Christ, he is the rock of our, the rock of our foundation. Our feet will not be moved. He never breaks and never fails. Now, I could keep going on. I mean, we could talk about Jesus and how great he is till forever. We, we will in eternity, praise the Lord. When we get to heaven, if you are in Christ, we will talk about how wonderful Jesus is for, for eternity to come. But I pray that you've put your hope and your trust and your faith in the great rescuer, Jesus Christ. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just like Jonah, who is still a sinner as he's thrown in the sea, as he's, as he's floating there about to die, just as Jonah was, that is us, my friends. If you are not in Christ, if you've not, re not repented of your sins, you've not turned from your sins and turned toward Jesus Christ, you're like Jonah, this close to death. And this is an eternal death, an eternal death in a real place called hell. And you are that close to the depths of Sheol. That, that, that's what uh, Israel referred to the sea was the place of death. There were so many people that had died in the sea. And so just this, this vision and for, for the Hebrews would have been very, very difficult for them to, under, or to, to be able to hear. And that's us as well. We, we, if we do not have Christ, we are, we are floating about to sink in the sea, into the eternal abyss. And it's just not a place like they believed before they had Jesus really open up things to them. It's not just a place of death where, where, where you're gone. It's as David said, as David understood, I will go to him. He, he knows that it's a real place of consciousness, and it's either eternal bad consciousness in hell, or it's eternal great consciousness with God forever, that we have a new body. I pray that if, if you have not repented, that if you are still floating on that, and you're just waiting for that whale or that great fish or whatever it was to come and swallow you, Lord, uh, that the, the Lord just to send something He's already done it. He sent Jesus Christ. He is our great rescuer. You, you don't need anything supernatural to come and get you or to prove to you that he, he already did. He did that on the cross. I just pray, all you need to do is repent and turn from your sins and turn toward him, for he is good. As we come to a close, I pray that we have a higher view of God's sovereignty, that we see that he is intimately involved. He didn't just 
do a big bang and then and wind it up and just let everything go. He, he didn't just, you know, he, he is intimately involved in every step of creation. Every baby that's formed in the mother's womb is fearfully and wonderfully made by Jesus Christ, by God. It is, he is not a God of chance. He is a God who is active in his creation. And I pray that all of us have been born again. I pray that if you have been saved, that you are walking in obedience to his will. I pray that you're not like Jonah and you just keep trying to go your own way, that you just ignore the call of God, ignore the voice of God, ignore the word of God, but that you respond. For he is good and he is always gracious and compassionate and willing to, be, willing to forgive repentant sinners. So may we be repentant, may, may, may we be in Christ, and may we be a new creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how relevant it is to our lives today. God, if anyone here is floating on the sea, uh, that, that they are that close to just eternal death, they, they are so far from you, they have rebelled against you, they do not have salvation, I pray that they respond to your free gift of salvation, to your, your rescuing, your deliverance that only you offer. That only, there's only one name that we may be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising three days later and, and having the, the power over death so that we don't have to die a second death, that we will live forever with you in heaven. And so, God, I pray that, that, that we rest in that and that all those here have put their faith and trust in you. And if, and if we all have, which would be wonderful to hear that. If not, I, pr- I would love to talk to you. But, but if we have, Lord, may we be obedient, obedient to your word. May, may, as, as Brother Jim already preached or already uh, prayed, may, may, may we be in your word regularly. We can't obey what we don't know. So may we be in your word. And God, may we go throughout this week obeying you, loving you, and and fearing you in a reverential way, knowing that, that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We love you. Amen. God bless.